0: In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. Beautiful to see you all. When I was in my first year of divinity school in Chicago, I got assigned to this local church in the south side of Chicago where I would serve as their seminarian. And even though I was a cradle Episcopalian, I really was not paying attention And by the time I got to seminary, I still knew nothing about when to stand, and when to sit, and when to kneel. So there I was on Sunday mornings in my spiffy new white alb. Is there like a feedback thing going on? Is that in me? My spiffy new white alb, and right up there on display with the leaders of the congregation, and constantly, I was standing just as everyone else began to kneel, or I was sitting just as everyone was standing up. To this day, at nearly every service, I continue to find ingenious ways to do something wrong at every worship service. <laughs> if you were here last Sunday, you would have noticed perhaps I was playing the role of deacon. And by the end of the service, I was feeling pretty darn proud of myself for getting through the whole thing without making any obvious errors and I happily processed right out into the sunlight entirely forgetting that it was my job to pronounce the dismissal (laughs) and all of you were just very patiently waiting for somebody (laughs) anyway so it just so happened that one of the first Sundays as a seminarian was also the day of the bishop's annual visitation and everyone was lining up in the narthex to begin the procession for the service i naturally assumed that you know as a lowly seminarian i would go last <laughs> i hadn't i hadn't figured out that in church processions the people in authority go last and the lowly seminarians go first so i'm standing in the back of the narthex, trying to be inconspicuous. Everyone else gets into place. I'm just sort of hanging back there. And then the processional hymn starts up and the acolytes start to lead the procession down the aisle. And then there's the bishop in front of me, signaling me to get into the procession. (laughs) And I say, oh no, after you, bishop. (laughs) And he gets this really weird look on his face. And then then he says, no, after you, and by now the procession is halfway down the center aisle. And I say, no, 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 after you. (laughs) And so he just grabs me by my shoulders and marches me down the aisle, puts me where I belong, behind the crucifer, and uh, okay, so that was humiliating enough. (laughs) Then I got to the chancel and I realized I had no idea where I was supposed to sit. I just picked a seat. I mean, somebody should have told me that was the bishop's seat. <laughs> I admit it did look a little more comfortable than the other seats. I, it had a little more padding, but pretty soon, there's the bishop again. He's got that same <laughs> weird look on his face. And this time, there was like fire coming out of his eyes. <laughs> That's when I learned why bishops are always carrying those shepherd's crooks. Anyway, all of which is to say that if you have ever felt self-conscious or embarrassed because you stood up when you were supposed to be sitting down or whatever, please, do not fret. First of all, everyone screws up the liturgy sometimes, except Nathan, he never makes mistake. <laughs> Second, you're in good company even if you don't know it. And third, seriously, Nobody cares, really, unless you're a bishop and somebody's sitting in your seat, no one cares. Well, as we hear from our gospel reading this morning, uh, things like seating arrangements were an issue in the first century Palestine. Under the Roman occupation, everyone was super conscious of status and social role, especially at dinner parties. Every seat around the table had a particular status associated with it, and every person had to know which seat was properly theirs. So Jesus at so he was at one of these parties, and he noticed how people were kind of jockeying for position to take the higher status seats, and he offered a very sound bit of advice, which we heard today. At first, it sounds like he's just kind of giving advice on social etiquette. But as we dig more deeply, we discover something more interesting. He says, when you're invited by someone at a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace... You would start to take the lowest place, but when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Sounds like something you might read in Emily Post from the first century. Sounds like just good etiquette, right? You you consider the verses that have been, um, until you consider the verses that have been left out of this story the eagle-eyed ones among you might have noticed that this morning we begin the gospel reading with Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and then it skips verses 2 through 6 and then goes on to verse 7. Uh, What's going on there? Verse 1 tells us that Jesus had been invited to the party with the Pharisees, and it says they were watching him very closely. That's verse 1. Then Verses two through six is uh, what tells us what Jesus does when he realizes that they're watching him. What he does is he gets really rather aggressive. He responds to their hostility by asking some very pointed and impolite questions that deeply embarrass his dinner guests. Verse 2 tells us that there's this man with dropsy who appears at the dinner party. Dropsy, I had to look it up. It's an old-fashioned word for what we call edema today. It's the swelling of your legs and feet and hands. When your organs are not processing and discharging the fluid in your body, it can be relatively mild or in the case of heart failure or Kidney failure, it can be extremely severe and life-threatening. We don't know anything about this man with dropsy, but chances are he didn't just wander in off the street to this fancy dinner party. More likely, he was a fellow guest, perhaps a friend of the host, maybe another Pharisee. So Jesus immediately sees that he's being watched, And then he sees the man with dropsy and he asks an extremely embarrassing question. Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? And this puts his guests in a very awkward position because they can't possibly say no in the presence of this man whom they know and love and who has presented himself for healing. So they're all so embarrassed that they cannot answer. So Jesus very casually heals the man, and then he asks his next embarrassing question, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Again, they're so embarrassed by the question that they cannot even speak. This is Jesus being very impolite. He's rubbing their noses in their own soiled rule books. He's getting in the faces of those perfectly abled men of privilege who would use their privilege to keep out those who, through no fault of their own, find themselves on the margins. And it's only after that intentional breach of etiquette by Jesus that we get to the story told today about how Jesus seems to give etiquette advice. Now, when someone unintentionally violates a rule of etiquette, it's usually a little bit embarrassing, but it's quickly forgiven, right? But when people intentionally violate rules of etiquette, for example, as the Freedom Riders did when they integrated lunch counters in the 1950s, that's when you discover, in all its violent clarity, the structure behind the rules. When those African-American kids walked into those segregated Walgreens and sat down at those lunch counters, they were first politely asked to leave, but it didn't take long before they were being insulted and taunted and spit in the face and food spilled on them, coffee thrown at them until finally they were pulled from their seats and kicked and beaten and arrested. Sometimes. You need to break the rules to get people to notice the rules. And sometimes all you need to do is ask the embarrassing question. I wonder sometimes what embarrassing questions Jesus would ask of us. You ever wondered that? A few come to my mind, you know, why is your church so full of white people? Comes to mind. Uh, Why is your church so wealthy? Uh, Why do you have have to call the police when there's a guy outside who's uh, off his meds? But, you know, these are already questions that we are earnestly asking ourselves. I bet Jesus' questions would be ones that we haven't even thought of yet. And that's why we bring people in from the outside of our community to look us over and ask us those embarrassing questions that haven't occurred to us. This coming year, we're gonna be inviting quite a few people to come with us and ask some embarrassing questions. We've been doing this for a little while now. It started right after the murder of George Floyd when Dean Nathan and the Vestry assembled its anti-racism task force to begin asking ourselves how race plays out in our community. It continued since then with over 50 separate classes and talks and workshops and cultural events and art exhibits addressing issues of race in America that these are things that have been held since George Floyd's murder. It continued with the Mission Institute, whom we invited to perform a racial audit, which put a fair number of embarrassing questions to us. It continued with listening sessions while we had digested their report and talked among ourselves. And it continues with the Anti-Racism Task Forces report, which we expect to have released in a week or two. Uh, and it continues with Wednesday evening classes that are starting up once again, dedicated to questions of race and culture and class in our community and with a very special series of guest preachers that we will be formally announcing soon. uh, Very exciting, nationally recognized prophetic leaders who will be coming to Trinity to preach and teach and ask us embarrassing questions. I'm proud of the enormous effort we've made to open ourselves to those embarrassing questions. And of course, we're just getting started I'm encouraged because I can see that we're taking the most important step in that journey which is, we're learning how to be comfortable with our discomfort. Which is the key to all anti-racism work. Learning to be uncomfortable with our discomfort. Last Friday night, my sweetheart and I went to see Bonnie Raitt perform. She was great. I mean, who does not love Bonnie Raitt? She's wonderful. But the woman who really stole the show, I think, was Bonnie Raitt's opening act, Mavis Staples, the legendary gospel soul singer who, with her family, basically gave us the soundtrack to the civil rights movement. The lady is now 83 years old, and she's still working full-time, touring and singing for justice and love. On Friday, she sang one of her hits, A Soldier in the Army of Love. She sang, Now hate is my enemy. I gotta fight it day and night. Love is the only weapon with which I have to fight. I believe if I show a little love for my fellow man, then one day I'll hold the victory in my hand. That's why I'm just another soldier in the army of love. I'm just another soldier in the army of love. Hot two, three, four, crying sometimes as I go. I'm just another soldier in the army of love. You know, we all have been doing this now for 2,000 years and we're just getting started. But we're all soldiers in that army of love, right? So join me, will you? I'm just another soldier in the army of love. I'm just another soldier in the army of love. Hut, two, three, four, sometimes crying as I go. I'm just another soldier in the army of love amen